Hey guys, we are back with episode three of the Codex West podcast. I'm Jacob, joined by my co-host Johnny. Hello. And Mark. Yo, yo, yo. Uh, so I just wanted to give you guys a quick heads up. We are now available on both iTunes and Stitcher under Codex West Podcast. Um, I'll go ahead and throw links to both in the show notes. Feel free to subscribe, leave reviews. Helps us get a little bit more traction, which means more views, which means more and better content, maybe even some sponsorships. I know more than anything that you guys want to hear us do a bit about Squarespace or MeUndies every show. <laughs> so smash that motherfucking like button. Um, <laughs> MeUndies, a better way to cook. <laughs> So uh, in regards to the show itself, we're going to be talking about our personal travels a little bit. Um, The first half of Game of Thrones Season 7, which wrapped up last night. Give a little crash course on Joe Arpaio's pardon by President Trump and try to figure out whether or not anger as an emotion is like a useful tool. So and if if so, in which context that may be the case. So uh, let's let's get right into it. Um, so I think the three of us are reasonably well-traveled, especially you two. Um, so I'm sure you've got some interesting perspectives. Is there any one place or trip in particular you guys learned anything from? And do you have any good stories from being abroad or in the States? Um, I'm going to let Mark go first on this one. Oh, I, so I'm sure that I'm uh, less traveled than Johnny. Uh, Johnny's definitely been around a little bit more than me. Um, but for me, when I travel, what I really love to do, instead of kind of, you know, People will love to go to Europe and kind of backpack around. Or I went to Thailand, then I went to Cambodia and Vietnam. I mean, which is, you know, yeah. the standard white people person you, thing you yeah. do now. Wow. Right? Um, <laughs> Their culture is like, oh, wow, it's so amazing. You know? Know, Jacob's exactly. doing a tour of Cambodia right now. Deep meme. But so the thing is that um, for me, instead of kind of bumping around, I've always been one to really enjoy staying in one place for some extended period of time. Um, There's kind of a moment with like, so the last big trip that I went on was to Amsterdam a couple of years ago. And we spent uh, 14 days there. So two whole weeks. And uh, actually Johnny and I will be meeting up in Amsterdam and not, but a couple of weeks from now, which is super exciting. Zupa exciting. Um, But the thing, as they say, it's a soup exciting. (laughs) No, Amsterdam's all about that soup. (laughs) Yeah, you got to excite soup soup. and shrooms. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's definitely what I think of when I think Amsterdam. (laughs) (laughs) But so yeah, uh, when uh, the last trip I went on was to Amsterdam, where we spent like you know two weeks there. And there's after a few days in um, in a in a foreign place, you start to get kind of this. You get past some of the initial awe of getting there. And then you kind of unlock this uh, very, like, a regularity to what you're doing every day, which I find so much more interesting. Like, I love to go to a place and pretend as if I'm living there for a while. Yeah. yeah. Right? For yeah. me, that's the that's the coolest way to travel. I mean, in person, I know other people think differently. But for me, I think that that's so interesting because while I was in Amsterdam, you know, Amsterdam as a city, the moment you get there, you kind of get overwhelmed by the sheer, like, depravity of it, right? Like, you come off the train station. I mean, seriously, though. You come off the train station in Amsterdam, and one of the first things you see is a really big fucking smoke shop, right? Like, you know, enormous coffee shop. And uh, then you walk down the street, and if it's nighttime, you're going to be passing red windows. The second that you get off the train, right? It's not like, it's, it's not like um, another place where the red light district is hidden away. 
It's the first yeah, thing it's you're exposed a, literally. to. Yeah, it's like the yeah. first thing that happens is you have to walk through the red light district. To oh, get I gotta to buy like some the, whores yeah. now? I just got here. Come on. <laughs> yeah, seriously, guys. I, come on. But so the thing is that there is, uh, when you once you get like inundated with all of that craziness, right? You kind of have to get over it. There's a few days that you spend in like a total haze, right? Obviously, like everyone does when they like a Amsterdam. purple haze. <laughs> hey, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> no, no. still but, on the dad but, jokes. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah. And so the thing is that after a few days in Amsterdam, though, you realize that it's like an incredibly livable and beautiful city with this, you know, deep and long history. You know, like the building with that prostitute in it was built in 1400. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. a completely, oh. it's absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? <laughs> that ancient pussy. <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh my God. Yeah. Like a fine wine. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so uh. I have, I have, so I'll finish out the thought. I haven't been many places many times. I'm very excited to go more places. But for me, I like to spend my time in one place for an extended period of time. And with Amsterdam in particular, the experience I had was that after a few days of kind of getting through all the blur of the partying, right, you start to realize that it's like, it's, it's probably my favorite city that I've ever been to. I mean, it's incredibly walkable, incredibly beautiful. And there seems to be just like an ease to getting around and get, getting about the city and doing the things that you'd like to do, which is not the way that Amsterdam is presented to you. In like you know the fake, right. the you fake just news think of it mainstream like media, the, the debaucherous I mean? <laughs> like din of sin. <laughs> the fake the fake news wants to tell you that Amsterdam is all about weed and prostitutes, but it's actually about so much more. You know, but um... <laughs> like coffee and weed and prostitutes, <laughs> yeah, or exactly. architecture and weed and prostitutes. Yeah, or, or, or architecture, Van Gogh and weed. You know, like, <laughs> they, they all pair go well. They yeah, pair exactly. well. Yeah. But um, need the full picture. Yeah, but so for me, if if the whole uh, if the whole question is about travel, then what traveling I have done has been the most enjoyable. Uh, the longer I can spend in places, right? Instead of yeah, just kind totally. of bumping around, I always find that I that I feel like such a tourist when I'm somewhere for only a couple of days. Yeah, and that's like there, the worst I feeling think, too. Totally. I don't. I I think I'm getting over the like like feeling like a tourist phobia. Mm-hmm. Because um, it seems like, <laughs> well, I guess what you're saying with like staying in one place is great when you like the place. Yeah, but uh, true. right now I have to spend I have to <laughs> I have to spend two weeks in Venice, oh. which is where I'm at right oh, now. Yeah, poor Johnny. Johnny. Yeah, poor oh, Johnny has buddy. to spend two weeks. I'm not joking, dude. This place sucks. <laughs> what are you I talking? Venice is like the, one of the most beautiful cities on earth, and you're like, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's, it's like if it's you're like, really into like, it's like sewers, imagine I if guess. you had New York. If you're really into a town that smells like shit and floods, like, at completely irregular times, Venice <laughs> is the city for you. If you no, really it's about like, to, like a imagine a normal city. <laughs> no, it's like, because, okay, so it's like, imagine you take a normal city, and then you move all, you take all the streets out, and all you have are alleyways, and then you, you put... <laughs> You put a higher number of density of people than any city should be in those alleyways, and then your only respite are, like, the water canals, but the gondola rides are, like, full of, like, Disney motherfuckers hustling you at all times, and you got gypsies running around, and you can't fucking do any laundry. This is a big problem. I know it sounds like... (laughs) <laughs> really petty, but like 
all of, I have, there's no ironing board at the hotel. I need to do my laundry. The only place within like 10 miles that I can do it is like only open for four hours, like from four to eight in the morning. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> what kind of person? Meanwhile, uses they're that? telling me. <laughs> like, it, <laughs> who is the person using that dry cleaner? Like, it's about to be me. Tomorrow, I'm not going to bed. I'm staying up way late. Maybe they, maybe they, <laughs> listen, this is a classic economics thing. They know you need it because there are no other ones. So they know that they can force you to do it. I'm just saying. Classic listen, economics. Just... Create a really shitty product and force people to use. <laughs> when it could be good and you'd make more money. <laughs> classic economics. Right? Classic. Classic. I think Friedman said that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> anyway, so, but, uh, Bar- so I was just in Barcelona, which I had a, a whole different sort of, like, uh, like, dichotomy of thinking as opposed to, like, staying in one place for, like, for a short amount of time versus a long amount of time. It was, like, um, I was with my cousins, and one is, like, uh, a world-class traveler he's just like been he lived in china for five years he's like oh like he's been to guatemala he's just been like everywhere i don't i can't even list all the countries it'd be stupid Sounds but, like Anthony. Um, yeah but he like lives at like <laughs> like the first day i got there he's like man i'm always in the suck i'm always in the suck <laughs> he's like <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> he's like he's constantly like just like try to do everything on the cheap for as cheap as possible which is like cool because it gets you into like some really like dope situations because you have to like rely on people so you're really yeah, trusting perfect. the sketchy the sketchiest people the people Sounds who are like so a tourist dope. i will yeah <laughs> but it'll get you into some weird situations like when we i, I visit him in china and we're just trying to really get like we're trying to travel like oh like a very far amount of distance and we're trying to do we had like no money left so we find this guy at the train station he's like yeah i'll take you because <laughs> you can like buy like a real bus pass but this dude was like no i'll take you don't worry and we're like okay yeah. let's do it and <laughs> we get in this tuk tuk <laughs> he just starts like sorry, taking us what? It's a, it's a it's fictional a... creature from Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you got to put your tuk-tuk boots on. And, yeah, anyway, so um, <laughs> we just start, like, trotting out of, t- like, out of town, and all of a sudden we're just under this highway in the middle of just, like, uh, industrial China, and uh, they take us to the side of the road, and he just, like, ditches us and leaves us. And he's like, <laughs> when the bus comes, lift your hands and let them know that... <laughs> So, like, like two hours later, the bus does come, and it's just, like, full of people. And we have to sleep on the ground. I'm next to grandma. <laughs> next to Chinese grandma. grandma. Not his grandma. Spooning with her. No, like, yeah. the <laughs> Chinese grandma. Like, the one. Yeah, so the I'm just like, one. all right. Like, we are yeah, the one race. The only one. Yeah, exactly. The one who the mothered all of China. <laughs> yeah. <so>. Oh, no, <laughs> no, no. Uh, so then, like, I'm just like, I don't want to... I don't want to experience this. So I take all the NyQuil and I'm out. (laughs) I wake up and the bathroom door of the sleeper bus is just busted open. And everyone's screaming because the piss is coming out of the toilet (laughs) and and wasting all the people right in front of me. So so we like we're hiding behind our bags and the people in front of us like they're sandbags and like 
World War II. <laughs> <laughs> like you're setting up bunker. Like you're getting ready for trench warfare against urine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I pass out. We wake up, and Anthony takes me, and we finally get to the city, which is uh, this place called Dolly. That's just like weed grows wild. And like it's like the second currency. So we just like smoked ourselves out of this horrible nightmare. <laughs> but. <laughs> Some state so he's still Anthony's there to way. this that's, day. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's who I was traveling with in Spain. But also his sister came, and she's very Miss Luxury, wants a plan for everything, which is really cool because it's a, you know it's not piss everywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you need to like find the middle ground between like piss and the Four Seasons. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> there's a there's a healthy middle ground between those two things. There has to be. You know, like. Well, it's that was the their gambit with, like, bringing me, because they knew <laughs> that they both can't stand each other, ways of, like, interacting with the world, but I can, uh, you know, like, yeah, imagine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it didn't, like, it wasn't really pretty the whole time. There were there was a lot of fighting, a lot of, like, walking around, and uh, everyone's upset that we can't find a restaurant kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, we didn't always have, like, a place to stay, and that wasn't always great, but um, went... I've already, like, traveled alone with Anthony, so, uh, like, I'd already had that experience, but I hadn't done it with Angie, and we went, me and Angie just went back to Barcelona for a night, and we had the craziest night. It was so (laughs) insane. We met a bunch of Swedish dudes on the beach. Oh, really? (laughs) Like, 12, 12 (laughs) Swedish dudes. This is the beginning (laughs) to, like, Something oh yeah, so, so they're like, they're like, oh you, so they're like getting us to come to the bar. Oh come at, on, Johnny! Like ten, ten at night. Johnny, did so you find your like, dream daddy? Yeah, did you find your dream? I daddy? did. This one dude was so hot. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, anyway, so all these guys they take us out to this place, and it is just like the most Euro trancy <laughs> flashing lights nice. kind of place. Um, I won't get into the details because it gets a little saucy, but it, I didn't get home until seven in the morning. Like, oh, <laughs> the like, Swedish is right. The, the keep in mind, is Johnny is texting us this whole time when it's like <laughs> three a.m. for us. So. Yeah. <laughs> it was a very exciting night, yeah. but uh, I don't know. I'm just like actually just telling stories at this point. I have no real. Uh, <laughs> I haven't learned any lessons. <laughs> I have no lessons here, except don't um, uh, be really stupid, which is what I was when I was alone in Lebanon. I guess, like, when oh, you're alone, yeah, when you're you in, probably yeah, do totally. you do dumber stuff, when you're, which is, like, kind of fun, because if you make it out alive, it's pretty dope. <laughs> but, <laughs> but now you're on a watch list, so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Basically, the point is I went to, like, uh, the mountains with this guy to go hang out at his mountain house, and... We ended up getting tailed a bunch, and we had to, like, we had to lose the tail a couple times. He hid me in his house for, like, three hours, gave me a bunch of hashish. I went to the, climbed up to the top of the house, and there were, like, all, there was like this, like, nursery of five-year-olds and burkas that I got to talk God. to. Cause I could, <laughs> it was just pretty wild, and uh, then he was, like, trying to hustle me for a bunch of money. And I was like, oh, man, if you just come to Mars, like, so he drove me, the next night he drove me back to my apartment. I was like, oh, yeah, if you just come tomorrow, 
like i'll have all this money for you for that awesome trip you took me on he's like okay okay and then i just went to the airport correct correct play (laughs) no 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 that was clearly the best line (laughs) yeah it was was like (laughs) it was an unforced error to go with him so (laughs) yeah kind of like on the on on a similar note like my my whole thing uh like my whole thing for my young adult childhood uh was like scumbag entrepreneurship so like uh (laughs) like trailer park Uh, boys type (laughs) so my favorite my favorite that's like classic yeah totally (laughs) i don't don't actually yeah i don't know if uh i don't don't actually know if johnny knows this i don't know if either of you guys know the story but when i was uh, like 18 or so um, went to the Bahamas with my family on a Christmas cruise, um, and we were stopped in St. Thomas, where the legal purchasing age for alcohol was 18. Um, so my cousin and I, not Johnny, different cousin, of course, uh, we go to this Damn liquor it. store, <laughs> <laughs> and we get all the cheap, shitty liquor that like we can possibly afford, like plastic handles of like Malibu. <laughs> <laughs> Like Sea Dogs, not Seagrams. Like just <laughs> it was like off-brand, off. Like if you went to Walmart off-brand and they had like great value, it would have been yeah. like great value. Yeah. So they're not actually sold in plastic bottles. It's just sold in plastic bags. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we want to taste like plastic. <laughs> we want to bring them back on the ship. This none of this is like for us, because uh, you know we're, we have very discerning taste. So we want to we bring them back on the ship and sell them. Uh, but the only problem is that you can't like we're underage on the ship and alcohol is contraband so we use a trick i'm actually pretty sure mark taught me this trick uh, oh my god when in when we were in chicago for pitchfork a few years ago um we crushed a bunch of water bottles flat and we filled them with liquor and then we taped them to our bodies so (laughs) we've got like a dozen 24 ounce water bottles just like strapped like biceps and thighs and stomachs and uh, we were super strapped, and then we just walked through security, and for the rest of the cruise, we sold the liquor to other kids at the hot tubs on the ship for like insane, like thirty dollars, <laughs> like thirty dollars for like ten ounces of Maladong, like <laughs> the true end game of the cruise. <laughs> we made like almost a thousand dollars. It was hysterical. What? That's incredible. <laughs> I'm super impressed. That's amazing. So that's how old were you? That's a good racket. Yeah, how old was, were you? Eight, it was 18 or 19. Oh, okay, yeah, nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, as far as, like, lessons learned not related to doing illegal shit and making money, um, I feel like most of my travels have been within the United States. Um, I've only left the country for the Bahamas and Canada, so not Ooh. the most exotic places. Ex- yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Bahamas. <laughs> I feel like in the Culture U.S. Culture city. <laughs> yeah, you know. Where, like, every city is, like, a complete facade, and there's, like, random forts that they say are 500 years old, but I'm pretty sure they just, like, plywood. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I built them the other day. Yeah. <laughs> it's like North Korea. It's just, like, a cardboard pop-up that falls in the wind. Listen, guys, I don't think that the Bahamas is exactly like North Korea. Like... But I won't say it's dissimilar, either. But it's similar. <laughs> same, but it's, like, beachy North Korea. When it comes to the women, mm, uh, very nice. <laughs> I feel like I've learned more about like food through travel than any other like important oh, lessons stop. about myself yeah. or anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The thing you the thing I, I gotta say that I actually agree with Jacob is that uh, traveling for me is almost like ninety oh, percent of yeah you dude you just eat 
Like it's about going to all those places that you won't get to go to again, or yeah, like to like. It was a bad. It was a bad choice of me to become a vegetarian like before. Yeah, Johnny. Back Johnny sent me a picture of this like fucking like twenty charcuterie platters that look like oh some my of the most amazing. Just like the most incredible hams that I've ever seen. Yeah, in my like life. that. Pirico <laughs> just like shit. I can't yeah. eat anything. Oh my god! <laughs> it's all just about pinchos, man. Gets it, when he gets very to good pinchos. When he gets to Amsterdam with me, I, I like. The chances are pretty low that you, like, don't eat meat in Amsterdam. Nah, I don't know. Man. I don't know, dude. <laughs> I don't know. You haven't, I know. He's like, definitely going to oh, be eating a, a lot of a greens. Challenge. Yeah, I was about to say, dude, like, post-green, what'll happen? I don't know. <laughs> Who's to say? I don't know. Who's, Who's to say? Know? Who's to say? <laughs> what a sexy travel story that will be. <laughs> anyway, so and then Johnny, Johnny, Johnny ate, ate four pounds of meat. Johnny ate a sweaty sausage. And then threw up for two days. You know what I mean? I'm going to go ahead and stop this before we start getting into (laughs) Johnny and Mark fan fiction territory. So. Um, we, we did want to talk about Game of Thrones today. Um, <laughs> Good well, I mean, it's kind of like friend, yeah, friendcest into Game of Thrones. So we know there's like, there's about like a 6,000 other Game of Thrones podcasts. So we kind of wanted to do our own take on the show. Um, like why it's become so popular, maybe perhaps becoming reflective of a certain political moment or feeling. Um, and a little bit about why, like, fantasy can be a perfect vehicle for that sort of political commentary without being super ham-fisted. Um, we also wanted to review the season itself. I think we all have some questions about the writing this season, whether it's been as strong as previous seasons, uh, since uh, we're now, like, officially out of the books and into fresh territory. Um, yeah. Um, get my notes out here. Yeah, I'm going to go. I'll, uh, you can go I'll start saying off. something, because the political stuff was sort of my, like, hypothesis i sort of wanted to ask the question because this show has always been about like when i don't know remember in parks and rec when ben wyatt's like no it's like a fantasy but it's about human characters and like, political <laughs> yeah. intrigue it, well that's really like what everyone likes to say about that show yeah is that, totally um the political intrigue of it without that there would Game of Thrones would just be about like dragons and dragons and zombies, like yeah, two of the it's worst tropes just dragons possible. Yeah, exactly. yeah, right. Yeah, the tropes are so bad that without the political intrigue, it's so bad. But um, so I looked back on it, and the beginning was basically right when uh, like the first episode aired, and Mitt Romney announces candidacy, meaning that like <laughs> when. I know I got into it after the first season and that's when it really started picking up steam like everyone you had to watch it you had to watch it and it was just whether it coincided with the 2012 election um, or whether it was a coincidence or whether it spoke to why people were interested in it is going to be hard to quantify Mm -hmm. um, or make something well I think a lot of like political shows kind of picked up steam around house of cards was 2012 or 2013 as well yeah it was house of cards that's when it started too and the different like house of cards and um game of thrones at that time the political drama of it was everyone is just like it was all about i think okay let me re-put this game of thrones has always been about lying right yeah when when it comes to political intrigue it's always but because um there was the Stark family who were supposed to be this like family that's all about honor. Yeah. And um, so 
the political moment of Game of Thrones in the beginning was that the Lannisters basically trick some guy who wants to tell the truth into saying a lie to maybe spare his family. Yeah. And it doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that said something about maybe the moment where um, you had someone who was, like, promising, like, hope and change, and you start to, like, sour on it a little bit because uh, you start to think, oh, Obama's just a puppet. Just, uh, you know? <laughs> These are the sorts of things where I were ha- like, it was, it's the kind of, like, things that people were saying at the time yeah, yeah. was how, oh, how he's been. And you can tell, like, he got so many less votes in 2012 than 2008 that there was yeah. a sense that um, all that idealism was being complicated yeah. by the political machine. And so you could kind of make the the this, the um, the connection, but you don't want to force it because obviously Game of Thrones was written a lot earlier. Well, but I can also um, but I can also yeah, just point sure. out what I what I'd like to extend on what you just said is that the the show has picked up popularity since and is on and is obviously like spiking in pop, popularity now. Do you know what I mean? Right. Oh, there I, have might be something I have a to point. Be, there might, wait, yeah. Your point may be about um, its intrigue when it began. And the fact that it was during the election might have been pure coincidence. It might have been released during the election without coincidence. That might have been a marketing concept, right? Right. But at the same time, its continued popularity and its growing popularity, I think, can be attributed to, like, a more... Right. I have a larger... Yeah, you know what I mean? Sure. And then my larger theme is that um, now we are, like... Whether that was a coincidence or not, there's no way that the people behind the show don't realize that they're making a political show. Yeah, of course, yeah. And we're at a point now where we're outside of the books. Mm -hmm. This entire season was the first season that's just flying blind Mm -hmm. in terms of not having adaptation material. Right, so it's just the show writers doing their thing. And so it makes sense to start thinking about whether they're taking cues at all from the political moment especially because they would have had time from the election or at least the um the beginning of the 2016 election Mm -hmm. to start thinking about how Mm -hmm. they were going to maybe tie in the political moment Mm -hmm. and i have to say i was sort of like well maybe this is reaching or something but this last episode when um john snow he's basically has the meeting with like cersei should we like go um, ahead and spoiler alert? Just, just oh, because, sorry, so we can yeah, actually yeah, talk spo- about yeah, it. Yeah, we're doing the whole review. <laughs> spoiler, so spoiler yeah, alert! Spoilers, <laughs> spoilers. So, um, uh, in this meeting when he has with Cersei, they show the white and like they're all freaking out. Um, and she says, "Yeah, this is a big threat, but you need to, you know, Jon Snow, you can't, you um, can't fight me after it's done, <laughs> right?" And then he's like, "No, I've already, I can't do that." I've already, you know, bent the knee to um, Danny. When he starts talking to Tyrion or something, he starts literally just saying, like, if I don't promise the right thing, words don't have meaning. Yeah, and I that's have to talk oh, clearly. Yeah, that's yeah, and that's it's just point. such a post-truth yeah, kind of, like... Yeah, good catch, actually. That's, like... Tie yeah. into, um, like, they've used this... They're Now they're using... It's so clear that the Lannisters can represent the Trumps. It's a bunch of like <laughs> it's incestuous also, blonde yeah, uh, liars. Yeah, sure. But it's also that are that, like, obsessed with money. I want to make know, a, like, that, a, a quick point: is that, like in that in the that exact same scene though, like 
it's it's the idea that like being beholden to the truth can be like super damaging at times is also sort of brought up like repeatedly well yeah that whole episode seems to be about that because they're talking about you know they also talk about ned stark and his honor like you know the conversation isn't just about them it's they also kind of connect it to the the history of the show by saying yeah and the other like like an uh an exposition of that theme do you know what i mean exactly yeah yeah. and the other the, the flip side of the coin that johnny's talking about is like if trump tries to be like an honorable person at this point with the promises that he's like if he actually upholds the promises he's made it would be just as horrific <laughs> as like if he was just lying about them <laughs> but there's also this uh immigration theme where it's <laughs> the foreign eunuchs and savages you've been reading the Steve Bannon biography too much bro <laughs> <laughs> man you know what I've learned from the Steve Bannon biography is that trump the apprentice he had um in like it was the show if you wanted to be a like advertise in a multicultural way because his advertising scores with blacks and uh, latinos was through the roof and he threw it all away yeah it was insane like people were really um cornering him to become the president like around 2010 because he had such wide cultural appeal what (laughs) yeah yeah just something to think about but um because the book's great i'm gonna (laughs) but back on on track though yeah back to game of thrones um so i think there's at least a um an awareness that they're writing towards thematically um with politics but the writing itself is getting really labored really shoddy i think yeah it's so repetitive like there's there's been so many like um uh, i'm trying to think of like a specific like specific examples but i I feel like uh uh, man continue your point while i try to figure out what i was gonna say i'll just say one thing one uh, um there's a couple of points um one ed sheeran that was a disaster oh my god nothing made me nothing like pulled me out of a show more like I just lost yeah. all suspension of disbelief completely, all in one moment. You're and not immersed, and there was this problem with um, season, or the 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 penultimate episode where people were really brought out of immersion too when it came to the like teleportation that had to have taken place for the events yeah, to have made any sense. Which is I'm okay with if I'm okay with. Like not needing to worry about yeah, like yeah, not not like needing that. to wait like three episodes for the Raven to get to yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> where you know, but um, it it didn't. There was no there was no feeling. It the, seems it more seemed as if now. the pacing was rushed yeah. to yeah. get us through because yeah. they're only doing seven episodes, which is probably likely because they want to spend all this money on dragons. Yeah, CGI. yeah, yeah, and that's it. <laughs> while we're like just really quick while we're on like the visual thing, I think that like the dragons and the fire CGI are all these like incredibly like well-rendered, immersive, like beautiful digital renderings of these creatures and then you have like the night king and the lich guys that literally look like blue eyes white voldemort like i don't (laughs) understand like why it just can't i just don't think it could have been i don't think it would have been super hard to make those guys look a little cooler (laughs) and that's like a really like apparently like they're all wearing like all their capes are made from ikea rugs (laughs) what are you serious that's hysterical yeah that's amazing yeah which is which, whatever also, like that like i agree i agree that show has had, like famously had such good costuming for example like yeah. that's like a good example of where the show has gone since the beginning 
right? And well, I think it's probably more of a diss to IKEA. <laughs> <laughs> but like, that's funny. But um, what I what I would also say is that in this recent episode, I had the exact same moment. Like independently, I had the same moment of, oh wow, I had this big realization of the politics of the whole show, right? But on yeah. top of that, to, to kind of talk about the writing a little bit, because I think that plays, I think that the writing is a good analogy for the rest of the production of the show, right? And so much of what's gone on in the way that it's written is that the show used to not take the easy outs, right? Or like the easy answers on yeah. some scene, right? Yeah. In many ways. And I think that that might relate to the fact that like George R.R. R. Martin is, in a, you know, an amazing novelist and they're probably pulling so much from the source material that they're able to create something that's like surprisingly unique in its scripting. But the thing yeah. is that this most recent season just seemed to be, it seemed like, you know, oh, let's go watch a bunch of TV and figure out what they do. And then we're going to try. And yeah. Get, everything's like I mean? wrapped up. Everything you want to see. Everything's yeah, very it, satisfying in a way that no previous season. It, exactly. And, and I, well, I actually think that that's a good point is that this season was kind of like overly satisfying. What was so cool about the earlier seasons was that there was a whole lot of important things taking place off camera, taking place in subtleties and all of these things. But either way, I think that the, I think that the writing generally has just become uh like it, it uses more tropes. It's become a little bit more cliche from when in the early seasons. Yeah, I really sure. felt that it stood I, out up against other screenwriting. I have a I have a theory about this, okay. which yeah, is ahead. that um, I finally remembered the, what, what I was going to mention earlier. But, <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I have a theory, which is that um, the the basic narrative um, question with Game of Thrones is whether it could stick the landing, because with these fantasy novels that are just so expansive, um, you spend a lot of time world building. Yeah and a lot of time setting up such a large stage. Yeah, so, and it's that, also complicated. Um, like, you have to spend that time. Very, yeah. yeah. But um, what happens is, is that you can make really what, what are seemingly bold narrative decisions that are actually just uh, exercises in misdirection, mm -hmm. right? Like, we think as viewers in the beginning that, um, oh, God, you know, the, the Stark. Ned Stark. Like, uh, not yeah well first you think ned stark's gonna be a big character big yeah, character okay, yeah. yeah right yeah and then he, they just kill him off and you're like oh my god that's so insane but you've just been led to believe that ned stark was a major character he's just a minor character yeah but because you have all of this time to develop it this happens all the time with like why was the red wedding shocking you just thought that they were the biggest um they were, they were the big protagonists yeah, yeah. But you had all of this time in the beginning to misdirect the audience to what the real story was when the whole time it was Jon snow mm, true but so much of that so the question is like if you can if you are writing about a such a large like story that is that is concerned with world building and dependent on world building mm -hmm. are you able are you going to be able to narrow that at the end and make that final story like just as shocking or is it going to feel like a cop-out if you do sho something shocking at the end because you have no time for misdirection left yeah and i think we can blame the fact that it's they've run out of adaptive material and they're just you know working off bullet notes mm -hmm. at this point yeah but it could just fundamentally be why he can't even finish the story oh that's like totally way. true i mean that that's a good point and if you're making money off this show, 
<laughs> as like as uh, George R. R. Martin is, you might not want to finish it. Ha, that would be so of, hysterical <laughs> if you just didn't. Well, write also the there's book. like all yeah. these there's all these really weird rumors about HBO trying to develop. I think that currently they have five Game of Thrones spinoffs. In I don't think they're rumors. I think no, 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 I, I, when I like, say rumors, yeah. I mean five is a lot, and we don't actually know. But all I can say is that they have they have Game of Thrones shows in development, and so the thing is that. It would be, I mean, what would really be dissatisfying is for the show to end in a way that was not actually an ending because it was going to split the story and now we have spinoffs, right? Yeah. Like that is... Well, like, I think oh. the spinoffs are all like prequels or like they're they're separate enough to where I don't think that will be You don't think that's going to happen. Issue. Although maybe, who knows? We don't know I mean, that would it. suck. It right. would, I, I hope you're right, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Here's something I will say that... Um, goes against what I just said mm-hmm. in terms of like they could have for instance they could have given Littlefinger a much better death this is a guy who in the first seasons was so smart he basically orchestrated the entire war yeah like basically and everything starts of, with Littlefinger I think that that's like a good way of thinking right. about the show yeah yeah he was really the most like probably the most dangerous person in the whole show and then at the be- the first episode of the season Bran tells him chaos is a ladder right like he basically like they're, they're having a conversation he responds to something that Littlefinger says with chaos is a ladder which was shocking to me jacob and i watched it and i was like oh my god did he really just say that because he had no reason to know that um yeah. except for his like warging abilities so the the little finger from the other seasons would have left immediately like now sure. he knows this guy can see everything and yeah. have all this evidence of all the bad, but he just sticks, sticks it around. Out. Yeah. Basically, <laughs> yeah. tries like the worst plot of his life, which is let's get this girl who has been like learning just been how like, to be a spy, uh, yeah, reunited with her sister, <laughs> and yeah. we're gonna get them to uh, hate let, each other. Let me try other, to orchestrate like, the yeah. worst plot of all time, yeah. oh. and I think they tried to tie it with the fact that he was in love with Sansa, but like he's left her before. He's done way worse shit than just like abandon her. Like he sold her off. Yeah to get like ass fucked for seasons <laughs> <laughs> for seasons <laughs> for seasons yeah. and yeah back on the uh back but on like, he doesn't the, leave the point and of, like, he the dies writing, in this really unsatisfying way like making yeah on that point like with the writing making less sense too um i feel like there's been a lot of like character regression this season where like uh mm, like lots of characters are sort of like falling back on old wit like aria who's matured and basically become this like legendary assassin who like poisons and stabs and beats people to death and then wears their faces and she's like concerned with the honor of like a child writing a letter like that when she finds Sansa's sure. letter <laughs> like that uh, just I seems a little so off. See, I don't know if that I, was all I a big ploy that, because Littlefinger has <laughs> spies everywhere. I don't know if that was a ploy. Oh, or whether they were faking it, it the really whole upset. time, and, like to like fake it for somebody. But who they might don't be tell you. you. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I understand. They don't give you any. They don't give you any and sense the, of if that was a real the, conflict or not. Back to the point of the repetition that I was trying to make earlier. Like I think every single episode this season, except for the last one, has had some variation of the like of people reminding Daenerys not to be a tyrant or like burning people to death yeah like every single episode and then also every single and Tyrion, episode that's what Tyrion like, was reduced understand to. why your people fall like the whole like people are like loyal to you for this reason don't forget it like that line was used yeah. almost verbatim every single episode and i get like trying to hammer a point home Interesting. but it's pretty like obvious at this like it's just yeah. like it doesn't need to be rehashed in the same words every single episode <laughs> 
it seems like yeah it was just rehashed to give Tyrion a purpose because the writers aren't clever enough as like Tyrion is supposed to be it just like actually seems Ooh, like yeah, that I kind of like too, agree yeah. with that like the writing for Tyrion is what's the most noticeably <clears throat> lacking in the more recent episodes do you know what I mean he does nothing he, <clears throat> yeah, just, he just fails yeah, exactly. he fails well I think okay and so I think it's with, important okay. for like Tyrion to like fail as a counselor to sort of demonstrate like I think it sort of creates this dynamic tension where like Daenerys is incentivized to start making her own decisions a little bit and think for herself and maybe that's why the the whole don't be a tyrant thing has been like hashed like maybe they're sort of setting up for some schism in the next season between her and Tyrion but like they didn't yeah I, I get what you're saying for sure I guess that could be the case but there has to be a way that's more satisfying to make Tyrion not look like an idiot yeah <laughs> well I would also say so Danny I'll actually point stupid. something out so like we just we just made two different critiques about Littlefinger and about Tyrion right and like why do we feel like both of those characters were lacking in this season like not only did not only did Littlefinger get a kind of like anticlimactic death right but he also tried to do something really stupid which is unlike that character, right? Similarly, right. Like that, you feel like yeah. Tyrion is totally neutered, right? So then what makes, like, there might be something to be said for your comment about, like, oh, maybe it's, like, the writers aren't clever enough to figure out how to, like, it correctly develop this character in this season. Do you know what I mean? I think yeah. that there's something, like, because both of those characters have always been kind of foils to me. I always saw this kind of, like circling deceit going on between Varys and Littlefinger and uh, Tyrion that's all kind of interrelated yeah where was he this whole season but either way I I mean to say that like as a narrative structure those three kind of like circle each other like they have like a common gravity or something in the story and so I think they kind of act as foils and you can see that there's no Varys and that um, uh, Tyrion and Littlefinger were like underwhelming as characters this season. So I think that all of that is kind of a uh, uh, cr- gives credence to Johnny's point about like the writing may have been more difficult right now because it's like oh how do you be this clever when George I R. R. Martin so, spends so because being clever? I, I having like written a screenplay, yeah. like you definitely have the the way I always describe it is you have points plot points that you want to happen yeah um but the the trouble is like when you get to that scene you're like how am i gonna make this happen because mm-hmm. you don't have plot points for every single piece of plot yeah um and it seems very clear that they needed to set the stage for the last season and so they know that they had to get like john in love with danny and they need to get it to be a case where you know like sansa kills Littlefinger because he's a problem because if he's not dead then it could create too much chaos for the ending yeah. that they can't deal with um they need to make sure that jamie wasn't with cersei anymore for sure so like all those things sound fine in the abstract but you you can't there's i mean there's like some cheap cheap ways which you kind of saw about how to deal with like being really clever if you have clever characters without having to be too clever mm-hmm. but generally you do actually need to have something interesting happening like breaking bad was that way where you could tell they did the research yeah um and the research to figure out how to fill those gaps was insane it was things you wouldn't expect oh, because so true. you That's really need point. to sit yeah. there with the problem like do you remember the episode where uh, in breaking bad where they had to get rid of that laptop evidence and they were dealing with the magnet oh yeah and they were like testing them you know what i mean like that wouldn't that just that would not be the way most people deal with it. They would be like, okay, let's just like blow a bomb on it. Or, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, or they wouldn't care about it. Yeah. Um, you could tell that that's ingenious writing, and there were 
there there are points um, in Game of Thrones where that happens, but I'm of the opinion that maybe the misdirection was the best element um, in the writing, and, and it's that just it might totally not be the season. It's yeah, and it's hard to know. It's I don't even know how you would do it. Well, yeah, exactly. At the same the point, I don't know how it's going to end. It yeah. doesn't feel predictable, but it doesn't feel clever. Yeah, exactly. Well, because I guess there's is how I would. Well, there's like it. I think that like cleverness is about kind of simplicity. You know, like you know, wit and brevity kind of statement, right? So there's something to be said for the fact that like the bigger it's gotten, the less likely it's going to be clever because cleverness is built in like its simplicity. And the more complex the show is, the harder it is for them to kind of think about clever ways of developing this narrative or to end it. I right? think that's that's definitely true, but I feel like the the show now has narrowed down to the point where like it is it's the simple dichotomy is living and dead. So you have a lot of room to work within those paradigms and I think that, that, that they aren't really taking advantage of. Yeah, and I I can understand that. I think that um, um yeah, totally. I think you yeah, I think yeah. that point made sense. <laughs> I'll go with <laughs> Do that. Do you guys want to go ahead and wrap this up? Or yeah, I think any, we need to move on. Yeah, is, there, is there anything else you guys want to say closing statements or should we just go straight into the political segment? I feel good I about that. I think I'm good, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so we wanted to be do kind of another informative bit this week, uh, kind of like the, the Michael Lewis article, um, and give you guys some background about Joe Arpaio and his pardon by President Trump um, and what that might mean for profiling laws in the future. Um, as somebody that has close family that are law enforcement officers, uh, this is a case that is kind of cause for alarm. Um, we've been dealing with a lot of tension related to the relationship between the public and the police in the last few years, and a huge proportion of it has been related to racial profiling. Um, like Mike Brown being emblematic of the white on black police violence and Arpaio being sort of the figurehead of like Trump's anti-immigration platform. Um, so we're going to get into more detail, uh, the kind kind of walk you through start to finish what has happened here. But at its most fundamental level, Joe Arpaio was an Arizona sheriff who unlawfully profiled and detained Hispanic people in his county, uh, like as a mean to detain and dispose of illegal immigrants. Um, he was ordered to stop by the courts, continued to do so, and then was eventually charged with criminal contempt of court. Um, and then was pardoned this week. So, uh, Johnny, why don't you go ahead and start us off from kind of like the very beginning, give us an idea of the, like, sort of litany of criminally negligent acts that Arpaio's <laughs> committed, and then Mark can kind of cover the legality of the whole thing, and we can all explain kind of why it's momentous legally and, like, what implications it has on profiling laws in the immediate future. Sure. Um, oh, man. Uh, one second. Damn it. Never mind. Um... So this guy sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Very simple. I, I was um, yeah. He's like contemptible. In more yeah. Like so he's it really makes <laughs> sense. If you've ever have you ever heard him talk? This is something I had no. Done I haven't. Oh I went to, like, shit. Listen no. I don't to think I've interviews. actually heard him speak. Yeah. He's like an affable, like self-deprecating, uh, genial lunatic. <laughs> like he's. <laughs> He's exactly like Trump. I was about to say, like, that, just, I mean, you mean Trump? <laughs> like, what was that? Yeah. It makes sense why Trump likes him because he's um, he's disarming in his kindness. But what he does is so insane. Um, the most, the thing that he was most popular for was, so he was illegal. He would um, racially profile, just like blatantly. Yeah. Um, looking, you know, so even if you weren't an illegal immigrant, if you looked like one, you couldn't provide your documentation. You were sent to Tent City. And Tent City was this place um, it's like a where, fucking refugee camp, really. <laughs> it was, yeah, he, he self-described as a concentration camp. Well, wait, can I just point um, one thing out that, like, people I don't think fully grasp is that you don't have to have your documentation on you. 
That's it's to have like a law specifically saying that you have to carry identification is illegal. Therefore, just if you can't provide your documents, whatever he means by that, to a police officer pulling you over, it's absolutely unconstitutional to take that person into detention. Like that's been dealt with unlawful. before. Like I didn't that's, know there's that, precedent that's on a, that. I mean, yeah, you can't be required to carry identification. That is absolutely that's unconstitutional. I'm glad you said yeah, that. I mean, I, it's I just like that, that case that has been dealt with and is like in the books, and you know unless uh, so yeah, it makes what makes this guy happens, do like yeah. even crazier so this place uh um tense or yeah anyway uh, city, yeah. lots of tents obviously no air conditioning um because well, it's and outside in, uh, in, <laughs> in right, arizona and, uh, this in is arizona like, yeah so phoenix can get up to and uh temperatures are recorded at 135 degrees fahrenheit what without any that's how hot um, the fans. inside of a medium no rare steak should be do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like that's how. That's pretty insane. Isn't that insane to think about? That's like the temperature you're talking. <laughs> also, interesting tidbit: this guy, um, he brought uh, Pamela Anderson came to uh, the camp oh and God. like designed a vegetarian meal plan. Um, so what you're saying is wait, he's a vegetarian? What? what just happened? <laughs> yeah, no, this, this is a real thing. Pamela Anderson, she didn't realize what she was doing, but she came to like promote a vegetarian health plan and like talk to <laughs> talk to Joe what? about <laughs> it. And so they they basically implemented this like, but like the ingredients were so bad that it was like toxic, uh, spoiled food. And at the same time, he had these TVs that were playing the Food Network. Oh my um, god. What? <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> what? This dude is insane, man. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously there are the, the counts of like uh um pregnant mothers not yeah. getting taken care of and their babies dying. There were some like to sit in their own menstrual blood. Jesus Christ. Um, there were some yeah, allegations of sexual assault too, right? Or not not against him, but like he would not <laughs> sexual assault. Oh, against, when you like, said against him, what I thought you yeah. meant was that no one is saying that anyone sexually assaulted Joe Abero. That's no, how that's, I heard that's, that's It was like, oh, I didn't even know that that was in question. Okay, I got it. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, no, I hope not. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, um, fuck, what was that? <laughs> got me on my point. You were talking oh, so about anyway, these even, horrific things, like women with right. children. So even beyond that, um, the dude, like, um, staged his own assassination attempt. He blamed an 18-year-old for it. What? <laughs> and uh, he was, you know, let free because there was no evidence. Um, he, uh, his uh, department was... Um, budgeted three point two million dollars um, for um, like investigative services, and yet they let over four hundred sex crimes go unsolved that could have been easily yeah that's what I was talking about fixed with uh, paternity tests or rape kits, and most of them dealt with children yeah. under sixteen years old. Whoa. Basically, um, because he, they were immigrants, uh, like they, he just right. refused to investigate crimes against immigrants. His whole. Um, all of his legal fees about um, one, uh, just one class action suit, which is the racial profiling mm-hmm. suit that was supposed to stop. It cost $70 million in legal fees for the department. There's a, a $2.2 billion budget for the department. So the cost, that's like about, about 4%, wow. um, which is if you're a conserv- like a fiscal conservative, you don't want to 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. you don't want to be spending <laughs> up to four percent yeah, exactly. of your budget dealt with one case. We're talking one case because he also arrested uh, Phoenix New Times reporters, and that was millions of dollars. Uh, <laughs> to, you know that they had so to pay. A, in and this is all taxpayer dollars, like right. Also, yeah. I did some um, sleuthing, and he uh, his entire legal defense against this contempt of court charge was based off this guy uh james Fottis and uh who leads the national center for police defense oh my god um so i have this um <laughs> basically they were sending out emails to um would-be donors saying that um the le- like if they donated to the legal fund it would be 100 percent tax deductible which doesn't really make you know you can't actually just set up a nonprofit for one client um, because then it's not tax deductible it's it's not like a charitable donation but right. if it's for multiple clients yeah um, there's gray zone for that so just I want to read something from the post it's just interesting um, so does that mean that the group is legit it might be but it dig a little further and it gets all murky again according to Charity Navigator NCPD received its tax exempt status in December 2015. That's about five months after a federal judge sent U.S. Marshals to seize evidence from Arpaio's office. Um, it's also noted about five months before the same judge held Arpaio in criminal content. In other words, the group was founded just as it started to become clear that Arpaio was facing some pretty serious legal troubles. According to the email sent out under Ava Arpaio, his wife's name, NCPD had already given some $350,000 to her husband's defense. Um Jeez. That's interesting because according to Charity Navigator, NCPD took in just three hundred eighty-eight thousand nine hundred fifty-two dollars in revenue in two thousand sixteen, oh which means God. that in Whoa. its first year of existence, uh, the charity gave about ninety percent of its revenue to his legal defense. Um, oh, and I checked shit. out the website, and it's like their new, like their like profiles and people we've helped is like three people long. Wow. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> Which incredible. means that if it's a hundred percent tax deductible, it means that his entire legal defense was tax was, deductible. Uh, taxpayer, it was taxpayer subsidized. And yeah. this is like so this is important because pay, like yeah. I think one of the biggest fears of like like uh, racist conservatives are just like like conservatives that don't necessarily understand like where ta- their tax money is going is like they're afraid of immigrants somehow like leeching tax money or like they're paying for like their health insurance or something when in fact like Joe Arpaio is cost probably cost more taxpayer dollars than like every single immigrant in his county <laughs> yeah, it has to yeah, and I'm I just sure. thought it was interesting too that this this guy uh James Fodis who runs this place um he uh was the opinion writer uh that Fox News plastered everywhere all over their site and he was like, Arpeo's innocent. He's not a racist because how, look how many Hispanic people are in his department. And he has two Hispanic grandchildren. And I was in the courtroom. And if you were there, you would have known he was completely innocent. And he provides no evidence. About him being completely It's just like really hysterical to hear somebody say he's innocent of criminal contempt. It's like the innocent. That, that's just like a really bizarre thing to say. Right? Because that means, like, 
Uh, because he went on, he went in interviews and said that the department's still doing the same thing we did before after he was so that's, ordered not to. I mean, that's so how could, yeah, I, I want to start. I want to start talking yeah. about that specifically, like the, his court case, because he was yeah. like these allegations were leveled against him like almost a decade ago, right? Yeah. They, well, they've if been going more. on for they've been going on for a long time because since like 1992, I think, and also because uh, civil rights cases take a very long time. Okay, so like sure. uh, one way that I can explain that, I can uh, yeah, like give us like some a brief example. Here. So, um, I guess on the reason that it takes so long for civil rights cases, specifically in profiling, to go through, why does that take so long? So, if a cop pulls you over, right, for no apparent reason to you, and you happen to be black, right, and you believe that that officer pulled you over based on suspicion of driving while black, right? That kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now, the way that our actual analysis in a legal setting of whether or not that particular traffic stop violated the driver's Fourth Amendment rights, okay? So against unreasonable search and seizure, right? Doesn't take into account the officer's subjective position. Now, what that sure. means sort is, that, I mean, this is like, very, it's, it's bizarre, but the idea is that it would be almost impossible to actually determine either way whether or not a cop in his heart was pulling somebody over because they were black. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. So the course, like, yeah. And so the court has said that uh, tests for reasonability are generally objective, all right, from a, a, a beginning starting point is that it's not based on what the actual police officer thought at the time. It's based on the objective nature of the stop, okay? Now, that means that every time a cop in Phoenix would pull over somebody for essentially being Hispanic, right? What would happen is that if that person really believed that they only got pulled over because this person wanted to pull over a Hispanic person and whatever, yeah. check their documents. I mean, it's the most bizarre thing I've ever heard. That's like completely unconstitutional in its own right. It's completely bizarre. But so imagine that say they pull over somebody, ask for their documents, take them into detention because they don't have those documents. And the person who was taken into detention believes they that all this happened mainly because they're Hispanic and the police officer pulled them over. If they take a federal action against the police department saying that their civil rights have been violated because they were profiled. Okay. Now that case is very unlikely to go through, right? It will most likely be thrown out very early or the other, or, or the police department is going to win. The reason is because there's no subjective question. Okay. It's not about what that cop thought. It was about the objective nature of the stop. How does that work? Right. The idea that Joe Apero, the sheriff of one of the largest counties in the United States, right? I think top 10 most populated county in the United States. I'd have to look it up, but I think it's top 10, right? And yeah, Maricopa or Mariposa or whatever. Yeah, exactly. It's a, like top 10 most populated county in the, in the uh, United States. And for the sheriff, for the sheriff to have been accused of systematically violating civil rights is... The fact that that charge stood at all, that that case didn't get brought, like, thrown out, is incredible. That means that that really did exist. Because yeah. the bar is so high. Like, provably so, yeah. I, I mean, it happened. You're literally proving someone mm -hmm. legally is a racist. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's, a, yeah, like, it's like the only way that you can legally prove someone is a racist, right? But so the thing is that um, when this all came down to the end, obviously what ends up happening here is that the court says you have to stop these practices and Joe Apero refuses to, okay? Now, right. 
the way that contempt works, I just want to briefly say this. There is civil and criminal contempt. Civil contempt is a way of the court trying to force you to do something. So imagine that another party wants to discover a piece of evidence from me. I refuse to do so, even though their request is perfectly reasonable. The court would put me in civil contempt in order to compel me to actually to, produce to the evidence documents. for discovery. Yeah. Criminal contempt is if the court says, yo, dude, that car is his and you have to give it back, right? And then let's say I never give it back and I go hide it in the woods, okay? They would put me in criminal contempt even if I gave it back as a punishment for not following the court order in the first place, right? right. That's like the other, that's the difference. So criminal contempt is a punishment, meaning that the person has to have actual, it, this is very different than just committing a crime. Right. So like, you know, drug possession or drug dealing is different than not obeying a federal court order. Right. Like we're talking about a different kind of criminal act. This isn't yeah. legislated. This is specifically that the court told you to do something and you didn't do it. Therefore, you can be held in criminal contempt as punishment. Now, and, and on this mm -hmm. point, really yeah. quick, I like he was only charged with criminal contempt of court on July 31st of this year. He's already been pardoned. So, like, to, to the point that Mark is making, yeah. like, the amount of evidence that's required and the sheer length of time that this process took, like, if he was suspected and, like, told to stop doing this in 1992 and he's literally got charged 30, like, less than 30 days ago, that's fucking insane. <laughs> it really is. I mean, it really is because that's how long these things take for real when we're talking about wholly systematic issues. And what's incredible about this is that to call this systematic is bizarre because it's really about this guy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, he's it's, like created like, this whole mm -hmm. institution on and his own. And he's had long enough to do it that he created the systematic problem. But we can like identify the person who did. I mean, yeah, that, that's also that what is, makes that's it That's so crazy in and of itself. Right? And so also to your point, Jacob, it's been, you're saying it's been like just about 30 days since he was even like convicted, right? So he yeah. was convicted of criminal contempt and it's been about 30 days since, since then for the pardon to happen. Now, normally, just like th this isn't a constitutional thing, the, the president has the right almost, like a completely almost unadulterated right to pardon. Okay. He can't pardon yeah. himself, which is the most bizarre thing I've ever heard of. But yeah, like Donald Trump can't pardon himself, but pretty much outside of that, there's very little boundary. Anybody. Yeah, yeah. There's very little limitation. But so the thing is that generally what happens is that the justice department will take applications for clemency to the president. Okay. Mm -hmm. They will review them and then they will make recommendations to the president based on what they've read in the, in the applications. Okay. Now, they normally do not recommend the uh, the pardon or commutation. Is that how you pronounce the word? Uh, uh, commutation. commutation of, yeah, yeah, commutation like of commuting sentence. Commuting the sentence. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure I had the right yeah. word. Commutation of the sentence or pardon. Un so they would not recommend commutation or pardon unless the person, it's been five years since their conviction or since their imprisonment. Okay? Now, the thing is that... That's not a constitutional thing. That's just if, if you want to have the Justice Department's advice, right, then they normally make sure that they only look at applications from people who are outside of five years from their conviction or incarceration. OK, now that doesn't mean that like when Trump goes and pardons Zapero, that it's a big problem on that front. The issue here, this is this is the thing that all of this kind of comes together on this point. 
generally, when we talk about a pardon, okay, by the president, we're generally talking yeah. about somebody like, okay, so a controversial pardon, Chelsea Manning, okay, right, who is being charged with a particular crime, okay, who is, well, has been convicted of a particular crime, which is this whatever under some leaking statute, okay, by releasing those videos. And then President Obama, I think, commutes the sentence. I don't know if it's a pardon or a commutation, but I think it's a commutation. But the thing is that we're talking about specific criminal acts, okay? Now, what's different between somebody breaking a statute and someone not following a court order is that we're now separating the two branches of government. A, a statute is an action of Congress, an, act, an action of the legislature, right? Right. Okay? So when we think about a pardon, what we really think is that somebody broke a law and that the pardon works between the executive and legislative branches of government, right? Right, but in and, this case, yeah. it would be between the executive and judiciary branches. Which is incredible. Which is which is super duper duper different, right? I mean, right. In, in a real way, <laughs> I, I don't mean to trivialize it, but it really is. I mean, it's it's like <laughs> is that a legal? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is that legal? Oh, yeah, I, super I duper slap. duper. <laughs> I can cite precedent, you know, for the, for the super duper duper fucked up. You know, but <laughs> but the thing is that the real difference here is that this was an action of the court, okay, by saying that he has been held in criminal contempt by the court for not obeying a court, a judicial action of government, right? That mm. is a lot different from the vast majority of other pardons that have taken place pardons. in the United States, yeah. right? And now right. The, the reason that that is really troubling to me and I think many of my, uh, you know, many of my cohorts, right? Fellow Americans. Yeah, well, well fel fellow, fellow attorneys, right? Yeah. Fellow, fellow attorney Americans. We're, well, American attorneys. We're Americans first. <laughs> Let's <not bring> <laughs> <to> <laughs> but the thing is that, like, what's, what's really disturbing about that is that this kind of fits into this whole pattern of delegitimizing the judicial branch of government in favor of the mm -hmm. executive branch of government. Right. And that's why this is so uh, like it, he really did not violate the Constitution by pardoning Joe Apparel. He really didn't. I, I, I know of I know of no precedent to suggest that he did not have the power to do so. Right. But, but that's what makes it a constitutional crisis. I mean, I mean, yeah. in a real way. Right. It, this is this is what yeah. I want to talk about here. And this is how I kind of want to tie things off is like, what yeah. what is the What does this imply? Maybe like future abuse of this feature of the presidency by president trump or does it maybe have like broader implications on the law like how i want to can i say yeah, a couple say things and then let mark end For sure. um because i just want to say i think in uh let me just go through this really quickly i think uh it sends a message in two ways one that um i think it's a tacit endorsement of profiling this is the, tacit? the least <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well True, because yeah. you know I think he's pardoning him because he was supportive, yeah. not because he cares about anything. No, yeah. but, <laughs> which is, to me, like, like the reason why old Joe decided to do what he did is because he thought that, you know, um, he was upholding his idea of justice. Office. Yeah. Right. And uh, that scare tactics helped deter crime. But we know that the recidivism rates did not lower. Um, just like statistically they did not <laughs> the recidivism of it, immigration like. <laughs> yeah, like yeah it's like he thought he was like he's he's on record saying oh it helps deter crime that's why i'm like doing this in spite of you know but that's just the court, factually court order correct. and it just like it just like that there's no literally factual flies basis in the face for that. of truth yeah and I, I was just in my like uh quest to find out if um 
at on a general level if um recidivism recidivism rates are lowered or if racial profiling is good at all i came across basically nothing except the study (laughs) that was done by um a statistics professor who went through and was trying to find um basically statistically if an authoritarian government had records on everybody and was looking for um an immigrant or a terrorist how long it would take them Mm -hmm. uh to find someone and it, it turns out that um, as the population increases, it gets really insane because the best way, if you have perfect information, mind you, which no one has perfect yeah, yeah. information, we always have imperfect profiles. That <laughs> There's this thing called the square root risk value assessment, which is <laughs> basically you take someone's risk value, which is like um, if uh, you identify what a risk is. Yeah. And then you like yeah you add you add scores and then you take the square root of that. Um, So like if someone has nine risk factors, um, (laughs) you would need to screen that person three times in order to find oh Christ that they were so it's just like um, insanely ineffective or at least inefficient. Basically, profiling is really ineffective because what happens is the population increases. If you have people that are risk factors, Mm -hmm. um, you end up. because those risk factors, obviously, if it's the square root of something, a lot of those times you're not going to end up getting that person, but you're going to scan and profile them many more times. And just in terms of um, when you're thinking about system efficiencies, yeah. once you are you're profiling all these people so many times, mm-hmm. um, it just it doesn't make any sense to do it. Just so for purely a math standpoint, what's happening? is really stupid i like to look at evidence and i love statistics in terms of policy discussions and if you're just looking at perfect information and it's an inefficient mathematical system there's no way that it makes any sense to to like broaden that in a in a in a way that's like not even remotely like rooted in in logic or math or like any other kind of system that would make sense right yeah exactly and then uh so that's one i just wanted to point out in terms of like the racial profiling the endorsement of it is just so stupid on a policy level but there's this other thing that's going on where um trump's having problems um he wants to um expand the efficacy of ice Mm. um and um ice's best um weapon against getting illegal immigrants is um to pick up immigrants who have been detained by sheriffs um but the problem is most sheriffs don't want to hold immigrants long enough for ice to show up and do whatever it is the process that they're right because they would start violating the fourth amendment Mm -hmm. yep um because so the issue being that if trump is basically pardoning people who are defying the courts it means that it gives a weapon for sh- sheriffs to not worry about fourth amendment violations holding people. for holding people. right yeah. exactly so and, it, yeah, it, he's totally. sending the message don't worry about the courts and, and yeah and, and exactly and i think that that's obviously the most disturbing thing the thing that's like really upsetting is the fact that this is part of an assault on the judicial system I mean, yeah. and, and I don't mean that, like, he has some grand plan to delegitimize the courts. I think he's mainly doing it accidentally, right? But the thing is that the way that the court system works 
and the way that we've kind of thought about it for so long is that it's completely independent of any executive or legislative impact, right? The only way you can affect the courts really is to make an amendment to the Constitution, right? Right, and I that's mean, by yeah. design. Exactly, and that's, and that's the way, that's a fundamental aspect of the Constitution, right? And I don't, I, I've read an argument that says that like the pardon can't be used, used against a judicial order that I find wholly unconvincing, right? Um, I think that that's I think that's a bizarre reading of the of the uh, the constitutional provision, but the thing is that um, as Johnny had mentioned, oh wait, it was specifically that. Um, oh my goodness, uh, I had a, oh my god, I'm sorry, I completely lost my place there. Um, <laughs> I, no, I know, I'm yeah. trying to I'm trying to remember exactly what Johnny said about giving the pass based on violations of civil rights, and that. Um, oh, I got you. Don't worry, I'm back. I'm back. So the thing is, uh, don't worry, babies, I got you. But so here's the thing. Um, with ICE, as Johnny had pointed out, that one of the best ways that ICE can go out and capture all of these immigrants that they're trying to capture is to have sheriffs hold them for longer. And generally, holding them for long enough for ICE to get there would actually violate the Fourth Amendment rights of the person in custody. Okay? Now... The way that Jeff Sessions and Donald Trump have talked about kind of dealing with this this issue is that they wanted to defund sanctuary cities, remember? Right? So the idea is that a city that refuses to cooperate with ICE agents during criminal investigations or, or during inve in immigration investigations, well, they'll yeah. defund that city, okay? I just want to point out to you guys that that makes any lawyer laugh. That's like the most unconstitutional thing I've ever heard in my life. Like there are so many cases. It's, it's hysterical how many times these people suggest things that are laughably unconstitutional, right? Because, I mean, there have been a hundred cases saying that the federal government cannot coerce any lower level, any federal aspect of government, in other words, states or municipalities or local governments from actually implement implementing federal directives. Okay. They cannot. Wait, I have a question yeah. revolved around this, Mark. Uh -huh. I was hoping to ask you yeah. is that a lot of people are saying that um, another worry about these pardons is that it's basically paving the way towards pardoning, pardoning anybody um, when it comes to the Russia investigation. Mm -hmm. So like Flynn or... Yep. Um, Kushner. Um, what do you think about the fact that a lot of these, um, a lot of what's being charged under the Russia investigation could be at a state level? Uh huh. Um, will that be a case in which uh, the pardons won't matter? Yeah, because the president can only pardon people for federal crimes. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, the, 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 the right. president and can so, only pardon people for federal crimes and cannot pardon people for anything charged by the states. Okay? Now, the thing that I can so, – yeah, yeah. you can finish your question. If you a lot of financial crimes seem to be um, – so a lot of what's – it seems like there's – like Delaware is a state <laughs> where maybe um, the crimes are maybe just uh, located at a state level. Yeah. But is there something about um, – it seems the strongest evidence to taking or the strongest case building is going to be financial crimes when it comes to Russia. Mm -hmm. um, is that going to be something where the presidential pardon has a lot of power or um, are there do – do you have a sense of whether yep. the financial crimes at the state level might be enough to stick? Okay, so absolute good question. 
So, totally. The, <laughs> any financial crime that's based on a state, a state statute is something that the president cannot pardon. Violation of, the, of state statutes oh, the president okay. cannot pardon. He can only pardon violations of federal statutes. Okay? So if it is a federal crime, he can pardon it. But any state crime or local, you know, violation of a municipal ordinance or something like that, I don't think that, like, you know, the president is going to uh, try and pardon somebody for jaywalking, but he can't if he tried to. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. so that's just like a way of showing it, right? So the reason that Delaware, obviously, as I think you know, and what I'll, what I'll say very briefly, is that um, Delaware is the central hub of all of the incorporation of the vast majority of um, large scale, even mid-scale businesses in the United States. Any, uh, any corporation is om- almost certainly... Uh, has its incorporation in Delaware if they are particularly if they're traded on the New York Stock Exchange, right? So because so much of incorporation deals with also paying taxes, for example, federal and mm-hmm. state taxes, and uh. Uh, making particular disclosures required for your incorporation in a particular state. So most states require that you produce annual reports to the Secretary of State uh, in order to be incorporated in that state, right? And so what you would see happen, let's say that most of what Mueller is looking at is federal crimes. I mean, I'm sorry, uh, financial crimes. You would see that a lot of that evidence would actually post, uh, would actually point most certainly to a state crime rather than a federal crime, right? Now, what Mueller is doing as a federal investigator is that he's trying to look for violations of federal law, right? Now, I am, I'm not an expert on, like, information sharing between federal law enforcement agencies and state law enforcement agencies. Like, I really don't— got imagine it happens. Yeah, though. I mean, it has to happen, but I also don't know, yeah. like, you know, if, if Mueller goes, gets a warrant for somebody's—for some piece of information, some document, he looks at it and goes, oh, my God, this doesn't violate a federal statute, but it probably violates a statute of the state of Delaware— I don't know the next step in the process for an investigator in Delaware to get that piece of paper. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I just don't want to speak to that because I don't know it very well, but I can say... Yeah, what the differences are. Yeah, but to to answer your question, the idea is that Donald Trump could not pardon someone for the violation of a state law, and many financial crimes would be done under under state law. Now, what I can also point out very briefly, and this is my last point, that... Impeachment. I know this is ridiculous. I'm not saying that he can be impeached for uh, pardoning a para. What I'm saying is that impeachment in the Constitution has the requirements of the president committing a high crime or misdemeanor. High crimes is not a term of art. In other words, misdemeanors means violation of statutes. High crimes means something different. Okay? Now, one of the few things, there's very little constitutional history on what the fuck a high crime is, okay? (laughs) Now, what I can tell you is one of the consensus, like one of the few things on which there is consensus that uh, falls under a high crime is um, uh, abuse of the pardon power. Okay, that doesn't have a very good definition, but we can find Alexander Hamilton and Thomas Jefferson. Right. I'm kind of being general. I don't know if both of those people talked about it, but we can find documented (laughs) evidence for, you know, with a long history saying that abuse of the pardon would constitute a high crime, even if it were not to violate a federal statute. 
In other words, if Donald Trump were to, you know, pardon his son or try and pardon himself, that's a violation of the Constitution almost certainly. Right? Gotcha. Like, almost I think that's certainly. A good, and, this and, is probably yeah, a good place to exactly. tie it off. But and I just can, wanted this to is kind of that we can point probably that get into little on a later aspect. Episode, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a, that is, like, an important thing to note. Yeah. Um, so for the last segment today, uh, we just wanted to talk about whether or not, like, I think this Johnny, I think this is Johnny wanted to, to pose this question. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to let him phrase it. But my general understanding of the question that you wanted to ask is whether or not anger as an emotion can be like useful as a, as a tool in your life. Um, so Johnny, I'm going to hand this one off to you. Right. I think, um, this is like sort of our philosophy segment, um, or, or pontification se- <laughs> segment, um, and philosophy, there's a, a strand of continental philosophy that deals with um, cornering emotions as um, because emotional intel, like emotional thinking, is important in terms of the way we operate. And there is a psychological view that I think is like complementary to the philosophical one that will take like, okay, what's happening with anger? If you look at anger, for instance, like if you are a um, someone who's looking at psychology, you're going to be like, okay, if you, once you get angry, your heart rate increases, your blood pressure increases, your testosterone level increases. What does that say about anger? Um, but if you're a philosopher, you're looking at what are the ways in which anger plays a role in uh, both my personal, social, political um, life, economic life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is a sense in which, um, psychologists think that anger can be good for you because it actually lowers your, like, uh, stress levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I, I, you like can tell me, well, yeah, cortisol. Yeah. Um, yeah. is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Your cortisol levels actually decrease when you're angry. Um, which is kind of interesting because we usually like associate anger with like high stress moments, but you're actually less stressful when you're angry. Oh, that's interesting. But I mean, that's that's funny. Yeah, though. yeah. So if you're a philosopher, I mean, if you're a psychologist, you're sort of thinking, okay, maybe anger is not a negative or positive emotion. It's just it's it's something that happens that um, makes you do different things. And if you're looking like an evolutionary standpoint you're thinking if you get angry um if your testosterone levels are rising and your heart rate is rising it probably means that there's some reason why you're getting angry in an evolutionary yeah, yeah, way like, like from maybe you're not getting the food that you need you're not your hunt's not going well and so like your heart rate rises because you know that you're not about to eat if you don't you know what i mean like there's reasons why you get angry but if you're thinking about things from um, a philosophical standpoint that doesn't really matter that much because you're wondering what the point of anger is. And um, I had this incident where uh, my dog, I don't really get angry that much, so I don't really think about it that often. Um, but I had this incident where my my dog was upset with me, I think. <laughs> but but he, he we had left him alone for a couple hours, and I'm usually with him all the time. And uh, at the end of the day, he decided to pee in the house. And he, like, looked at me, and he peed in the house. And I just got – it made me very upset because he never pees in the house. And I kind of lost it. I I was, like, pointing at him. I was, like, screaming at him. He started running in my room, and I started following him. And, like, 
I wasn't going to hurt him or anything, but I was throwing boxes. Oh, he's so scared of boxes. <laughs> Unbelievable. He's really scared. I've he's never just, seen a dog that's no, more irrationally afraid of boxes. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't throwing him at him. I was just throwing boxes. Yeah. Like, nowhere near him. I was just throwing them to, like, make him upset. And then Jacob was taking a shower. And when Jacob came out, I just realized I was acting like a crazy person. Yeah, for sure. Like, here's, a, here's a, oh, an animal that, like... I'm just throwing things and running around, and he probably doesn't like. I, I respect like the emotional capacity of animals to feel things, but I don't respect their ability to understand uh, that our logics connect. Yeah, 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 for sure. You know, so, like I, I don't, yeah. I don't really like it. It's 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 almost uh, a, a rare. It's a rare incident where like we can teach them our logic, not because like they're dumb, but because their worldview is so different than our worldview. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, totally. That's just a cute yeah. way to think yeah. about your dog's <laughs> worldview. <laughs> like you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. That's what I think. No, but no, totally. <laughs> I guess that's cute. Yeah, no, I got it. But yeah, so I just realized when it happened when Jacob my anger dissipated, and I was like. Wow, Jacob, I'm really sorry I was like creating a ruckus because like it's so stupid. Mm-hmm. It was just stupid. Like I wasn't yeah. teaching him anything. Like just because I, I went around the room and was screaming at him, it doesn't mean that like I did anything productive in terms of teaching yeah, him. Yeah, that like he that. processed anything from it. You know, yeah. Right, yeah. And so I, I had the discussion like when I, I just like cooled off immediately and like I, 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 me and Jacob were watching a show and I think we just stopped watching the show because we got really infatuated with this idea of what anger is because i realized that i had this impulse that i couldn't check mm-hmm. at the moment and it just never really happens to me which is why i think i find it interesting i just it yeah I've, I, don't, I don't think i've ever seen you get that angry right it just never happens but it just did i also i think it's important to know that i love my dog more than uh, yeah. <laughs> like my dog is let's be honest johnny loves the dog like, more than anything yeah exactly yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, kaiser is like my favorite thing in the world and so it probably made sense that i just had this because i'm always showing him act like expressions of love that when i got mad i was like i needed to be expressive too and so i was telling jacob that just immediately thinking about what i was doing it's clear that in my mind I thought at the moment that I was trying to teach him something and that I needed to be just crazy and like how I acted mm. in terms of showing it, but it was just clearly not a getting through of me. Yeah. yeah. It was just me just needing to express it for myself for your, because yeah, exactly. if I really wanted to demonstrate it, there's a lot of different ways I could do it to show that he shouldn't pee in the house. But definitely more effective tell. ways of disciplining uh, a dog than like screaming and throwing. Yeah, yeah right. Course, but it's yeah. actually not. And so I, th- I thought that was interesting, and we talked about it. And then, um, like two days later, I read this article by one of my old professors, um, and Martha Nussbaum, who she's basically talking about is anger worthwhile at all, and she was breaking it down just like I did, where it's like the Aristotle was already talking about anger long ago. <laughs> Where that um, there's something in terms of the conceptual um, breakdown of anger where there needs to be payback, right? Because um, if you feel like a negative emotion, but there's not payback, it's probably something else. Like grief doesn't have a payback motive or it doesn't have a payback um, like concept built in, right? Right. Baked okay, in yeah. at all. So something about anger is that um, ooh. I want to do something about it. Yeah, it's like it's gratification for do. a way that you feel in a way that's immediate, and it's for you. 
Right. Yeah. Anger requires a gratification, which makes it not really um, a, something to live by. You know, it's it's more like you need to like it's it's an exp- it's you you want to get something when you're angry. Mm-hmm. If you're just like in grief, you know, um, or you're in pain. Yeah, it's right? you're not like seeking there are things you some want. particular uh, like end, like some object. Yeah, I get it. The, right. There are things you want. Um, if you're like, let's say, and you're in pain, what you want is restorative. Or if in your grief, what you want is restorative. Mm-hmm. But with anger, if you want to attribute what you want to restoration, it's like because you want to take it from someone else, right? If someone punched you in the face, you also want to punch them in the face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you're in grief, it's not like you want, like if if my husband you're died, I want because, all husbands to die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. It's, yeah. It's not like you're like it's life, for your loss, fuck you, yeah. and like there's no yeah there's there's a specific way in which anger requires you to want payback. Yeah, I find that um, like from something where you can get it. When I'm angry, it's like typically I have like the only times that I get angry are with myself, and like generally when I get angry with myself, it, it's like a I've I've failed at something or like mm-hmm. I've failed myself in some way, and the easiest way for me to remedy that is to like identify in what way I failed myself and then correct that. So in that way, anger for me is like 100% about gratification. Maybe not in like the most obvious way, but in a way that like it has to be, you're angry at something in a way that you feel it has to be resolved. And that's why you feel you feel so strongly that it has to be resolved. That like your only option is this like emotion that's generally thought of as being highly irrational and like highly expressive. Yeah. And, and I think that there's yeah. like something that I'd like to point out based on uh, what you've both said. Like for me, very often what many people would kind of consider anger, I always describe as frustration, right? Mm -hmm. And now what I wanted to kind of ask you both based on like what you both said, like what's the difference between anger and frustration? Are they actually that different? And like, are there, are those two words synonymous or are we actually talking about two different emotions? Right. I feel like frustration is Um, almost like a sub phylum of anger. Like it's like a, you know how like you, you can sort of like categorize like grief is like maybe a subset of sadness, mm-hmm. like yeah, yeah, yeah I think I that like frustration that. is sort of a subset of anger where like frustration is uh, to me when I think of like being frustrated it's usually it's something that's beyond my control, whereas anger is like something that I can deal with immediately even mm-hmm. if it's not in a healthy way. So like frustration actually, is anger without good. resolution. Yeah, that's because yeah, like my my first uh, well. I would say you're more bewildered when you're frustrated. Yeah, for sure. I wouldn't say there's no solution. It's just like maybe you don't know what it is. Yeah, frustration um, is like the it, it exists at the intersection of anger and confusion. Maybe that's actually yeah, that's I actually you're a more nice. Confu- that's when a you're pretty fr- way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah, there's something tempered about frustration, mm-hmm. but um, I mean, but I can feel like the reason very why we're talking about anger frustration. Do you know what I mean? Like you can yeah. feel oh, you I can feel frustration. You yeah. I still think you're bewildered though. Intense. I think the idea is your your object of like um reconciliation mm-hmm. is complicated um obscured but um the reason why we want to talk about anger is because um it has a lot of social implications mm-hmm. because it's really difficult for me to understand why punishment mm-hmm. is our m- main um fundament for uh social justice 
so if um like when you think about the prison system it seems and it it's like in in terms of like uh politically progressive people we're thinking about recidivism yeah thinking yeah about how does this policy actually help operate in such a way that people don't go back to that crime or um just that actually make people not want to do that crime yeah yeah, yeah. and it seems a lot of times we're failing in that regard because our laws for a long time have been um like puritanical mm-hmm. in a way where it's punishment it's not a like if punishment isn't a good um, tool for recidivism. We've learned, but we still want it as a society, sure. right? Because we have because, like a sort of perverted sense of justice. It's like a, right. Think about if like um, someone murders twenty people mm-hmm. or a terrorist. Think about that. When you're thinking about um, what do we do with somebody like that, and it's very emotive to you, like the story. The anecdote, yeah, you sort of buy into the narrative. You're generally not like, what do we? What is the policy? Or like a normal person probably won't be like, what is the policy that is going to um, prohibit that behavior in the future, right? uh, Reduce it. Um, It's usually like, fuck that motherfucker. What are we going (laughs) to do? Let's kill him twenty times. Yeah, exactly. Right, but there's no, there's, I can't square a policy um understanding with punishment and that you know if i feel like that we should just kill that motherfucker that's just anger Mm -hmm. it doesn't actually do you know that doesn't do anything except make me feel like a better person yeah and it's like because that uh, that i want that guy to suffer the idea of like the spirit of vengeance right but um so like there's there's a sense in which you think like punishment could be uh the cost of doing a certain behavior Mm -hmm. but there we at at this point with like all the data we have with all the policy imperatives we have that we know it's better to curb those um pre-event indicators Mm -hmm. right like if you're someone who's going to be you know if you're likely to be a drug addict because you're born in a certain place um and you're like to a certain class it's probably better to like implement programs that are going to get you out of that system Mm -hmm. or out of those indicators but we still have on the books right now policies that just will um hurt you yeah yeah they'll 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 make it so that you can just like never ever recover from the mistake that you've made Right, and it's about because they want to punish the choice. They want to stop you at the point of choice. Yeah, and so, and this is what that article talks about, which is that if um, it's a, it's like retaliatory. It's like okay, um, if you decide to do this, we are going to punish you. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the best, if we're most worried about people continuing that behavior, it's not a. It's about. Mm-hmm trying to limit the exposure to the um factors that induce that behavior and i think it's also interesting that like the the reaction like why i i want to pose a question like why do we have that reaction to when we see like something like the the casey anthony case i think is something that a lot of people felt really strongly about Mm -hmm. because she was accused of and like not convicted Uh, of killing her child (laughs) so like i think that that makes like parents really angry 
but like it's a crime that doesn't affect you in any real way so why like the the sense of retaliatory justice for something that doesn't affect you well that's is that because like we imagine that yeah, you're answering person? your own question because yeah. it's emotive yeah well also right, right, right. It, it makes it makes you angry that's evolutionary. That, that's yeah. what, yeah, I was sort right? of trying to, yeah, to get coax back that, that out, yeah. right? Like, because I think that a whole lot of punishment is, like, our our desire for punishment is a, a, a condition of evolution, right? Like, the idea was that in some kind of primitive stasis, there might have been something to be said for somebody who breaks a societal rules just being murdered outright, right? Like, when you're all monkeys, that might be how it works. I don't know yeah. monkey society. You know what I mean? But like, I'm not like, you know. I don't know, man. You might know it. <laughs> but, you know. You to, might be living it. But to give the example, right? So the thing is that um, I think that in many ways, so, so much of our, I think this is a good example about how you can take our politics and our social structure and kind of make an evolutionary biology argument about it, right? Like you have to, like similarly, I think that Johnny was kind of getting at this about anger in the beginning about like, there must be like some evolutionary use to anger, right? And now that we're kind of like drifting onto this question of punishment, maybe similarly, there's some sort of like evolutionary justification for punishment. I'm not justifying it, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Right? That there might be some kind of more fundamental element there. Do you think it's on us to, like, identify why that may be the case and why that sense of, like, retaliation That's is That's the useful? importance of philosophy, I guess, is my grander point. Yeah. Is that it seems clear that, like, what Mark was saying, that there are reasons why um, we get angry, um, but we have different ethics now. Yeah. yeah. We can... Our ethical project now is not, like, the survival of the species. Right. Not even close. We, we got there yeah. so but yeah but we've the, our, like our project of the survival of the species was so it outgrew our um evolutionary um impulses For sure and there's a in like um a reason why we do philosophy is to mitigate the damage between the tensions between our evolutionary and our ethical responsibility uh, that's actually yeah. kind of a really funny way to mitigate the damage that like yeah. evolution yeah. does it's sort of the onus is now on like, us to but then, to shrug those feelings off this and is, to identify right this is, what what the actual problem is right and it like uh anger tends to be one of these things where i think anger um it's not completely useless because sometimes if you get angry, you get motivated and you can do something useful i was gonna with make it. A, i was actually gonna get but, into that, yeah. uh right but whatever like we we that's it's not cool. good as a tool that's great justice. and <laughs> it's yeah and 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 our our um our tools for motivation are we have lots of them and um the fact that we are still subscribed to this punishment just mm-hmm. but punishment style of justice that has to be informed by anger because we know that punishment in terms of just this the data we have is not how we should deal with um deterring crime Mm -hmm. we have better ways of doing it it's just such like a blunt tool yeah uh it it becomes important to speak out against that um in terms of philosophical terms i think because most people need to hear um something that speaks to their emotions and it might be important to be like hey like um your anger 
like it means something but not in the way you think it does yeah and it's important it it doesn't mean you're stupid <laughs> it just means that you need to just take um, a step back you need to know why yeah. you're feeling that sort. You know, like it's empowering. And I feel like if, um, if what you want to do is empower if people. If you're brought into something by anger, like going back to anger as a self motivational tool, being able to like recognize and utilize that as a tool is good. But it's like it also flavors. If that's what brings you into something, like it flavors your perception of the world. Yeah, it's like interesting. It's, if you're if you're brought, so say you're brought into a political movement by anger, and like mm-hmm. you're ultimately your goal is to achieve some kind of social justice, then like continuing to be angry isn't actually going to resolve the issue because then you're alienating other people you're you you have this sort of like if the whole face of your movement is anger like people that are peaceful or like really want to enact change in a different way aren't gonna find that attractive i think that that's what's scary though about um what's happening in our country because um a lot of people are being motivated by anger right now 100 there is yeah. like there's a lot of um, – I think we do a disservice against a lot of politicians that are actually not promoting that. I think there's a really strong center politics, um, right and left, that are actively being, you know, either anti-white supremacist or anti-violence. You know, you could – But, know, like, like, in Bernie. a chill way. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like you, you, you'll you have to look at, like, someone like John Kasich who's like, yeah, don't. You know, this is stupid. To, like, be a white John Kasich and is someone like, who, like just because of how like plainly he seems to know what is moral and what's immoral. Yeah, I'm like, not saying he's no, great. No, 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 I don't yeah, either. I'm not saying he's I'm great, just, but like, it's he passes really refreshing the threshold for, to see benchmark. like a real human being talk yeah. about what's right and wrong. Yeah, you know I get I mean? the like, sense he's a real human being, yeah. especially since I watched his traffic stop where he yelled at a cop. <laughs> while he was obviously speeding but like he understands that there's a limit to anger even if the traffic stop isn't which i kind of understand traffic stop stuff traffic stops suck (laughs) but um yeah yeah, um but and like you know bernie has had to denounce the the shooter uh, who who shot at all the at the baseball yeah so like there's definitely like a good center politics that like denounce anger but a lot of people are utilizing it and that's and like attractive it's scary well. because it's so easy because imagine if you don't want to think yeah you just want to feel yeah. that's <laughs> not, what not hard to like, imagine <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not you know and that's um because when you're when you're allowing somebody all- to make you feel a certain way you're relinquishing it's it's not just that you're relinquishing control over your yeah. thought it's that you want to like you're giving yourself to that person's ideals. Right. I think this is what happened. You know, I'm going to get into some probably sketchy territory right here, but this is what I, this is how I feel about um, animal rights <laughs> is that Sorry, there's yeah, a I lot of, there's a lot of like, yeah, you're never going to convince everyone to stop eating animals, even though you can convince somebody that they have feelings. Yeah. And that they're, they have a capacity. I mean, to I think you and I are like an excellent sort of like, yeah, it's because um, you know the there's too much emotional um, investment to eating meat or like using animal products in a way that like it doesn't matter if you actually start believing that you you know you have an ethical responsibility to preserve life or that to prevent you, you suffering just, really like, hurt, to yeah, prevent suffering like, really. Yeah, that's that's the better way of putting it, um, because <laughs> you just have this like deep 
fucking investment and like it you become angry if someone tells you what to do and you you know what i mean like yeah. there's just all these sorts of th- and like this that's why the best case you know the best thing that you can do if you want to spread like a like an animal rights message is not to blame people for doing the thing right. they've always done you know whatever got the, the thing like that mostly got me and, was like yeah yeah it's ahead. just like here are the facts if you don't if you don't believe it okay <laughs> you just like you have to like basically just show people that um that there is a consequence to your actions and what that consequence is and let them find like you can't just you what you'll do is you'll make them angry you know if you're just like you're a piece of shit yeah for doing this. i can't you know what I mean? you never like they right. suffer How you know you and that, that was yeah. and then it becomes <laughs> like it becomes when anger when when somebody reacts angrily to to that sort of sentiment the reaction isn't like well maybe they suffer but i'm gonna keep eating it. it's it's no you're just wrong like you're just wrong and i'm never gonna believe that now right and i know this because that's what i felt i think it was uh i think once i realized that um the political moment we're in that i needed to care about what science said mm-hmm. because we had a uh, a president who's been known to try to shut down climate sciences and to put people who like there's this guy who's like a climate scientist i i, I wish i had more details but because we're speaking off the cuff right now he was uh fired well, he wasn't fired. He was relocated into like the oil lobby sector of the of like the government, <laughs> even though he was a climate scientist. Like, <laughs> like just as a spite, huh. there was a sense, and you know, just lots of scientists being denied. Um, that I wanted to look more into um, the one thing I could do about the environment, which is mostly what you eat, because it's a decision you make every day. Yeah, and when i did it became very clear that uh if i wanted to follow the science you probably shouldn't subject animals to the suffering they do have (laughs) have to be involved in you know and it made me angry i didn't want to know that it made me upset it made me i wanted to pay back these people who were just trying to give me facts without even agendas yeah honestly <laughs> like they were just like just i think yeah just to make basically. sure that this is still about anger yeah where it's like i felt angry i was like i don't want to know this because i don't want to have to look at something i have to do every day and which will make my life so much harder you know yeah. but uh and ended up you know like i think in my quest to because you know if you ever feel angry as someone who tries not to be angry all the time it's like when i see other people being angry i think you're stupid in a way <laughs> you know i don't want to be like you're but not like, trying it's hard like enough you, to check yourself exactly, it's like it's a no, willpower it. thing it, really it's exactly it so every time i feel angry just like with my dog and i saw jacob and i realized that i was like being so stupid because yeah. i wasn't being anything but just like expressing my own anguish at the situation even though there were better ways to deal with it why did you that's pee? Sort of, yeah <laughs> that's ended up what happened to me with like a lot of the decisions i'm making where it's like if i follow um if i want to be true to um my beliefs and i get angry about it uh that was probably i guess i'm just bringing this up because it was the most difficult 
like this like it was the most angry like just over a long period of time i felt where i was like i don't want to fucking quit this shit <laughs> fuck you fuck <laughs> And uh, that's how I kind of feel with drinking right now. It's like I drink a little too much. I don't want to quit because it like it makes me feel angry to think that I can't be like feeling great yeah, all the time, yeah. you know. <laughs> but like I probably need to because like, I probably be a lot more clear thinking, level headed, like more you know. You I'd be are kind, kind of, of vagabonding thing. around Europe, so like yeah, I think I'm, that I'm not like quit that's now, a most. But, like, <laughs> I was just going to say that that's probably the moment that everybody on their way from Bilbao to Venice feels. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, like I yeah, probably I probably need yeah, to drink I'm... less. Like, you know. <laughs> like, uh... <laughs> but, like, later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I think that that's a, that's a pretty good way to tie us off. Mark, did, is there anything else that you wanted to say on the subject? Oh, no. Honestly, I think that we hit a lot of points. I, you guys you guys had a lot of really good points to make about it, and I wanted to just kind of elicit some of that. And yeah, sir, that got well. in. I don't even – I guess I'm a little drunk. I didn't know. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I guess no, no, I should no, no, drink less. Was, no, it was Yeah, it was drunk all podcasting is bad, Johnny. Yeah, exactly. We care I about the you. podcast. I'm very angry. Yeah, like can this against. whole thing, dude. Jacob? You, you guys want to start over? Let's start over. Let's. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Christ, dude! I don't want to quit. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that'll do it for today. Then, do you guys have any uh, any recommendations for the listeners before we sign off? Anything uh, you've been getting so, into this week? I got one, only because we were talking about Game of Thrones earlier, and we were talking about fantasy, kind of just generally, like uh, that that whole genre. I thought this would fit in. My uh, cousin wrote a novel called Compendium. Her name Hell is yes. yeah, her name is Aaliyah Luria. The novel is available on Amazon for pretty cheap. You can get Why it. Why does your on- cousin have like a fantasy character name? Uh, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. But so it uh, it takes place it how about this? The book is uh, kind of a really great blend of fantasy and sci-fi. I just started it recently and it's very well written. I think she's a great writer. She just finished her MFA and uh, in writing and she's fantastic but the thing is that uh the story revolves around a um a race of people rediscovering the um uh how about this the there is the network on their planet which is the interconnectivity of all of the plants and living things on like the terra of the planet right and all of that somehow has some sort of um, like electrical connectivity with some sort of sci-fi implication. There is some way of utilizing the planet's life force, but the whole thing is also um, kind of uh, veiled in this society that's coming later from the discovery of it, who have forgotten the ways of utilizing all of these uh, all of these materials, right? So it is this great blend of sci-fi and fantasy. I would recommend it to anyone. It is called Compendium. It is by Alia Luria, and it's available on Amazon. Yep, I'm going to go ahead and uh, put a link to that in the show notes and a Wonderful. link to her website as well. Awesome. And uh, Johnny, anything um, from you? Yeah, uh, there's a lot to do about uh, the Mayweather-McGregor fight. Uh, I personally thought he would a TKO in the ninth happened in the 10th. Uh, the over-under was the ninth too. Really? I don't know. Yeah, but... Uh, <laughs> What's the over-under would, on? <laughs> it was the over-under on this podcast. 
<laughs> but uh, <laughs> Johnny and I have a really shitty but, inside joke where we pretend not to understand the con- like gambling concepts <laughs> constantly. Just yeah, what's the referencing big? What's the big on that? What's yeah. The, yeah, what's the what's yeah. the over under <laughs> on uh, me cooking breakfast this morning? <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think uh, most people in the boxing world. Which of which I'm a casual fan, uh, think that the best fight's going to be this uh, Golovkin versus Canelo on September 17th. Uh, so I would recommend, I don't love Canelo, I love Golovkin. I would recommend uh, the Golovkin versus Murray fight to watch would before the September 17th fight. <laughs> yeah, like a communist. Um, and then the Sita uh, fight, uh, just to see like a crazy TKO. I don't even no. It's not even a. It was a knockout. Holy shit! This thing is insane. But anyway, you should watch some of his fights. They're all on YouTube, and uh, I would watch that instead of the uh, the show we got, which was clearly just uh, a dude throwing punches as early as he can. It was like ridiculous to watch. It was so ridiculous. (laughs) Fun, fun, fun aside. uh, Until like Johnny introduced me to to boxing, I thought TKO meant triple KO. Like somebody got knocked out three (laughs) times in one fight. Imagine so that. I always it thought like it was like way more impressive when someone got a TKO. The fuck out! Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> what you saw was a TKO. If you see a real KO, it's just like, yeah, they just go down yeah. and they're out. lights out. Yeah, it's pretty dope. But uh, I mean, the cool thing about that fight was you could definitely just see how Mayweather is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, ridiculous. I know, I know, he's like te- like uh, he's boring, quote unquote. But no, that means he's a he's good. So boxer. defensive. That means he's a good dude. He's, I feel the same. Well, well, I'm just saying he definitely he's definitely the most gamey. Yeah. Like he's gamed the. Um, I don't know about you guys. The, I like people who fucking play to win. So. <laughs> well, he plays to win. No, really that's, that's that's what exactly I love. Like he's what so. He does, you know. If you like, you know, everyone thought the Pacquiao fight was really bad, uh, but I was entranced because you, um, you can just tell if he's not if you're not getting points against Mayweather, it's because he's moving yeah. at like um, slow motion speeds, <laughs> you yeah, know, or like sure. uh, like you you need to put it into slow mo. Some of his dodges and like his greatest fights, you can't understand unless you put it into slow motion because it just happens way too fast. You see how you think he got punched, but he didn't at yeah, all. Yeah, exactly. Because he's playing at like centimeter yeah, levels. Yeah, he scoots of out of the way just a little bit. I no, I totally know what you. Yeah. Mean. So he's he's really a, a fun boxer to watch. I guess it's sad that he's gone, but he like if the greatest fight ever would have been him versus Golovkin because Golovkin's like a he just throw he's he's such a heavy hitter but they're in different weight classes i guess or maybe not you know it's just it's it's difficult because age anyway for sure but that's yeah good good suggestions yeah i would watch the golovkin fights they're very great and this canelo fight is going to be amazing although golovkin's going to (laughs) win i think yeah i think you're right dope yeah um the only recommendation i have uh, i watched this really cool horror movie called uh baskin uh, I think it was like last night or the night before. Um, it's a Turkish horror movie, so I, I'm kind of like a not like an aficionado, but I just love horror movies. I so like to watch I, them every now and then. Yeah. And uh, this was like uh, the the story. I think I guess it's based on like a Turkish like folktale, and it doesn't really get into it. So it's like this. Uh, it's a little bit hard to understand, like just from a storytelling perspective, because it like as an outsider to that 
culture the storytelling seems a little bit weak like it just sort of falls off near the end but it's like this unbelievable surrealist horror movie that's like visually stunning it has some of the coolest shots i've ever seen in any movie period (laughs) um and it was shot on a budget of three hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which like obviously it's a lot of money but in movie money that's less than nothing (laughs) yeah (laughs) so like I would, I would, if you're into horror movies, I'd strongly recommend you. It's Baskin, B-A-S-K-I-N. Um, I don't remember where I watch it, but I think you can find it on IFC or like Netflix. It might be on Netflix. Is it like a jump scare kind of movie? Not at all. Like, no, like, it's like a, it's like yeah. surrealist, like dream horror, like the, but it's like a, there's like some like body horror and gore near the end. But like it's it's primarily just like this very dream. Is it like yeah. Lynchian at all, or is it more? Um, just... I think it like it takes. Actually, no, I wouldn't even say it takes keys from, because David Lynch has, like, a his his mastery of, like, the dream-like filming, where, like, it's, uh, things are just off, and it has its own, like, internal logic. It doesn't really apply here. Mm-hmm. It's dream-like in the most, like, traditional c- cinematic sense of, like, yeah. these things that are, like, surreal and impossible are happening, but, uh, but it does it in a way that's, like, really beautiful. I, I, I don't know how to, I'm not, I don't think I'm, like, doing it really any justice, but I'd just check it out just, like, on its aesthetic appeal. Well, 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 I mean, I'm gonna yeah. watch it, so. Dope. <laughs> you it. convince me, bro. Like, I don't get internet in my room. So. Johnny, we'll watch it in Amsterdam. <laughs> oh, nice. Oh, nice. <laughs> all right, guys. Most follow. of what Johnny and I do in Amsterdam is going to be me showing him movies. That's all I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. And uh, again, if you could subscribe or leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be awesome. We'll have links to everything we talked about today in the show notes. I forgot to do that last week. I will not forget this week. Um, and we'll see you next week. All right, take it easy. All right. Peace. Peace.